Section 26 of the Underground Railroad, Part 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Casper. The Underground Railroad, Part 2, by William Still. Section 26. Liberty or Death. Jim Bowlegs, alias Bill Paul. In 1855 a traveller arrived with the above name, who on examination was found to possess very extraordinary characteristics. As a hero and adventurer some passages of his history were most remarkable. His schooling had been such as could only be gathered on plantations under brutal overseers, or while fleeing, or in swamps, in prisons, or on the auction block, etc., in which condition he was often found. Nevertheless, in these circumstances, his mind got well stored with vigorous thoughts, neither books nor friendly advisers being at his command. Yet his native intelligence, as it regarded human nature, was extraordinary. His resolution and perseverance never faltered. In all respects he was a remarkable man. He was a young man, weighing about 180 pounds, of uncommon muscular strength. He was born in the state of Georgia, Oglethorpe County, and was owned by Dr. Thomas Stevens of Lexington. On reaching the Vigilance Committee in Philadelphia, his story was told many times over to one and another. Hour after hour was occupied by friends in listening to the simple narrative of his struggles for freedom. A very full account of Jim was forwarded in a letter to M. A. Shad the then editress of the provincial freeman said account has been carefully preserved and is here annexed as it appeared in the columns of the above-named paper i must now pass on to a third adventurer the one to whom i allude is a young man of twenty-six years of age by the name of jim who fled from near charleston south carolina Taking all the facts and circumstances into consideration respecting the courageous career of this successful adventurer for freedom, his case is by far more interesting than any I have yet referred to. Indeed, for the good of the cause and the honor of one who gained his liberty by periling his life so frequently, shot several times, making six unsuccessful attempts to escape from the far south, numberless times chased by bloodhounds, captured imprisoned and sold repeatedly living for months in the woods swamps and caves subsisting mainly on parched corn and berries etc etc his narrative ought by all means to be published though i doubt very much whether many could be found who could persuade themselves to believe one-tenth part of this marvellous story though this poor fugitive was utterly ignorant of letters his natural good sense and keen perception qualified him to arrest the attention and interest the heart in a most remarkable degree. His master, finding him not available on account of his absconding propensities, would gladly have offered him for sale. He was once taken to Florida for that purpose, but generally traders being wide awake on inspecting him, would almost invariably pronounce him a damn rascal because he would never fail to eye them sternly as they inspected him the obedient and submissive slave is always recognized by hanging his head and looking on the ground 
when looked at by a slaveholder. This lesson Jim had never learned, hence he was not to be trusted. His head and chest, and indeed his entire structure, as solid as a rock, indicated that he was physically no ordinary man, and not being under the influence of the spirit of non-resistance, he had occasionally been found to be a rather formidable customer. His father was a full-blooded Indian, brother to the noted Indian chief Billy Bowlegs. His mother was quite black and of unmixed blood. For five or six years the greater part of Jim's time was occupied in trying to escape, and in being in prison for sale to punish him for running away. His mechanical genius was excellent, so were his geographical abilities. He could make shoes or do carpenter's work very handily, though he never had the chance to learn. As to traveling by night or day, he was always road-ready, and having an uncommon memory, could give exceedingly good accounts of what he saw, etc. When he entered a swamp, and had occasion to take a nap, he took care first to decide upon the posture he must take, so that if come upon unexpectedly by the hounds and slave-hunters, he might know in an instant which way to steer to defeat them. He always carried a liquid which he had prepared to prevent hounds from scenting him, which he said had never failed. As soon as the hounds came to the place where he had rubbed his legs and feet with said liquid, they could follow him no further, but howled and turned immediately. Quite a large number of the friends of the slave saw this noble-hearted fugitive, and would sit long and listen with the most undivided attention to his narrative none doubting for a moment i think the entire truthfulness of his story strange as his story was there was so much natural simplicity in his manner and countenance one could not refrain from believing him saltwater fugitive this was an exceptional case as this passenger did not reach the vigilance committee of philadelphia yet to exclude him on this account would be doing an injustice to history the facts in his case were incontestably established in the Philadelphia Register in April 1854, from which the following thrilling account is taken. The steamship Keystone State, which arrived at this port on Saturday morning, had just entered Delaware Bay, when a man was discovered, secreted outside of the vessel and under the guards. When brought from his hiding-place, he was found to be a fugitive slave, who had secreted himself there before the vessel left Savannah on Wednesday, and had remained in that place from the time of starting. His position was such that the water swept over and around him almost constantly. He had some bread in his pocket, which he had intended for subsistence until he could reach a land of liberty. It was saturated with sea-water and dissolved to a pulp. When our readers remember the high winds of Friday, and the sudden change to cold during that night, and the fact that the fugitive had remained in that situation for three days and nights, we think it will be conceded that he fully earned his liberty, and that the institution which was so intolerable that he was willing to run the risk of almost certain death to escape from it, had no very great attractions for him. But the poor man was doomed to disappointment. The captain ordered the vessel to put into Newcastle, where the fugitive, hardly able to stand, was taken on shore and incarcerated, and where he now awaits the order of his owner in Savannah. 
The following additional particulars are from the same paper of the 21st. The Keystone State Case our article yesterday morning brought us several letters of inquiry and offers of contributions to aid in the purchase from his master of the unfortunate inmate of newcastle jail in answer to the former we would say that the steamer keystone state left savannah at nine a m last wednesday it was about the same hour next morning that the men engaged in heaving lead heard a voice from under the guards imploring help a rope was procured, and the man relieved from his dangerous and suffering situation. He was well cared for immediately, a suit of dry clothes was furnished him, and he was given his share of the contents of the boat pantry. On arriving at Newcastle, the captain had him placed in jail, for the purpose, as we are informed, of taking him back to Savannah. To those who have offered contributions so liberally, we answer that the prospect is that only a small amount will be needed enough to fee a lawyer to sue out a writ of habeas corpus the salt-water fugitive claims to be a free man and a native of philadelphia he gives his name as edward davis and says that he formerly lived at number five steele's court that he was a pupil in bird's school on sixth street above lombard and that he has a sister living at mr diamond's a distiller on south street we are not informed why he was in Georgia, from which he took such an extraordinary means to effect his escape. If the above assertion be true, we apprehend little trouble in restoring the man to his former home. The claim of the captain to take him back to Savannah will not be listened to for a moment by any court. The only claim the owners of the Keystone State or the captain can have on Saltwater Davis is for half-passenger fare. He came half the way as a fish. A gentleman who came from Wilmington yesterday assures us that the case is in good hands at Newcastle. Full Particulars of the Abduction, Enslaving, and Escape of Davis Attempt to Seduce Him to Slavery Again The case of the colored man Davis, who made such a bold stroke to regain his liberty by periling his life on board the steamer Keystone State, has excited very general attention he has given a detailed account of his abduction and sale as a slave in the state of maryland and georgia and some of his adventures up to the time of reaching delaware his own story is substantially as follows he left philadelphia on the fifteenth of september eighteen fifty one and went to harrisburg intending to go to hollidaysburg took a canal boat for havre de grace where he arrived the next day there he hired on board the schooner Thomas and Edward, oyster-boat, of Baltimore, went from Havre de Grace to St. Michael's for oysters, thence to Baltimore, and thence to Havre de Grace again. He then hired to a Mr. Sullivan, who kept a grocery store, to do jobs. While there a constable, named Smith, took him before a magistrate, named Graham, who fined him fifteen or twenty dollars for violating the law in relation to free negroes coming into the state this fine he was not able to pay and smith took him to bel-air prison sheriff gaw wrote to mr maitland in philadelphia to whom he referred and received an answer that mr maitland was dead and none of the family knew him he remained in that prison nearly two months he then had a trial in court before a judge grier most unfortunate name, who sentenced him to be sold to pay his fine and expenses, 
amounting to fifty dollars. After a few days, and without being offered at public sale, he was taken out of jail at two o'clock in the morning and carried to Campbell's slave pen in Baltimore, where he remained several months. While there he was employed to cook for some fifty or sixty slaves, being told that he was working out his fine and jail fees. After being there about six months he was taken out of prison, handcuffed by one Winters, who took him and two or three others to Washington, and thence to Charleston, South Carolina. Here Winters left them, and they were taken by steamboat to Savannah. While on board the boat he learned that himself and the other two had been sold to Mr. William Dean of Macon, where he stayed two days, and was taken from that place to the East Valley Railroad. Subsequently he was sent to work on the Possum Trail Railroad. Here he was worked so hard that in one month he lost his health. The other two men taken on with him failed before he did. He was then sent to Macon, and thence to the cotton plantation again. During the time he worked on the railroad, he had allowed him for food one peck of cornmeal, four pounds of bacon, and one quart of molasses per week. He cooked it himself at night for the next day's use. He worked at packing cotton for four or five months, and in the middle of November 1852 was sent back to the railroad, where he was again set to wheeling. He worked at task work two months, being obliged to wheel sixteen square yards per day. At the end of two months he broke down again and was sick. They tried one month to cure him, but did not succeed. In July 1853 he was taken to an infirmary in Macon. Dr. Nottingham and Dr. Harris of that institution both stated that his was the worst case of the kind they ever had. He remained at the infirmary two months and partially recovered. He told the story of his wrongs to these physicians, who tried to buy him. One of his legs was drawn up so that he could not walk well, and they offered four hundred dollars for him, which his master refused. The doctors wanted him to attend their patients, mostly slaves. While in Georgia he was frequently asked where he came from, being found more intelligent than the common run of slaves. On the 12th of March he ran away from Macon and went to Savannah. There he hid in a stable until Tuesday afternoon at six o'clock, when he secreted himself on board the Keystone State. At nine o'clock the next morning the Keystone State left, with Davis secreted, as we have before stated. With his imprisonment in Newcastle, after being pronounced free, our readers are already familiar, we subjoined the documents on which he was discharged from his imprisonment in Newcastle, and his subsequent recommittal on the oath of Captain Hardy. Copy of First Order of Commitment Newcastle County, S.S., State of Delaware To William R. Lynham, Sheriff of said county Davis, Negro, is delivered to your custody for further examination and hearing for traveling without a pass and is supposed to be held a slave to some person in the state of Georgia. Seal. Witness the hand and seal of John Bradford, one of the justices of the peace for the county of Newcastle, on the 17th day of March, 1854. John Bradford, J.P. Copy of Discharge. To William R. Lynham, Sheriff of Newcastle County. 
you will discharge davis from your custody satisfactory proof having been made before me that he is a free man john bradford j p witnesses joanna diamond john h brady martha c mcguire copy of order of recommitment newcastle county s s the state of delaware to william r lynam and to the sheriff or keeper of the common jail of said county whereas davis hath this day been brought before me the subscriber one of the justices of the peace in and for the said county charged upon the oath of robert hardy with being a runaway slave and also as a suspicious person travelling without a pass these are therefore to command you the said william r lynam forthwith to convey and deliver into the custody of the said sheriff or keeper of the said jail the body of the said davis and you the said sheriff or receiver of the body of the said davis into your custody in the said jail and him there safely keep until he be thence delivered by due course of the law given under my hand and seal at newcastle this twenty-first day of march a d eighteen fifty four john bradford j p on the fourth of april the marshal of macon called at the jail in newcastle and demanded him as a fugitive slave but the sheriff refused to give him up until a fair hearing could be had according to the laws of the state of delaware the marshal has returned to georgia and will probably bring the claimant on the next trip of the keystone state the authorities of delaware manifest no disposition to deliver up a man whose freedom has been so clearly proved but every effort will be made to reduce him again to slavery by the man who claims him in which it seems he has the hearty cooperation of captain hardy a trial will be had before u s commissioner guthrie and we have every reason to suppose it will be a fair one the friends of right and justice should remember that such a trial will be attended with considerable expense and that the imprisoned man has been too long deprived of his liberty to have money to pay for his own defence end of section twenty six